It's Friday, and we are working for Crusoe. On today's episode, we'll talk about the latest U.S. jobs report. Fed looking to get that soft landing. The United States credit score was downgraded a bit by a ratings company called Fitch. And we will have the latest in the ongoing coup military junta that has taken control of Niger. That has shattered into a thousand different pieces, and we will be sifting through all of them. Sam Park and John Ramey with you. It's Friday, August 4th. Sam, this is not a sports podcast. I just need to register a um, a note of personal disappointment and sadness. Reports are streaming in now on this Friday that uh, the University of Oregon and the University of Washington will be leaving the Pacific Athletic Conference and joining the Big Ten. This essentially will be the uh, coup de gras, a different kind of coup for the um, perhaps less important. Yeah, perhaps less important of the Pac-12, the Pac, the Pac Conference, which has been around since 1915 and is one of the most storied um, conferences in all of college athletics. So I'm I a little bit, that. I'm a little bit sad about that. But there are good economic reasons this is happening. I and guess, maybe some, and maybe someday we can talk about it. Although I don't think you'd find it that interesting. Not especially, no. I'm, but I, I did hear about it. I understand that. That uh, I mean. Uh, I, I just find it so revolting, you know, I mean, it's just like, tell me about it. You know, how how much money do you need to make? But I guess the answer is always more, apparently, apparently. unless you're, you know, uh, a general in West Africa. But, you know, we can talk <laughs> about that later. All right. I just had to get that off my chest. Is there anything you wanted to get off your chest? Not especially. No. Okay. To the jobs report, the Labor Department releasing uh, statistics for July. The uh, economy added 187,000 non-farm jobs, and the unemployment rate in July uh, dipped back down to 3.5%. That is near a record low. Second month in a row that jobs added have been below the 200,000 mark. Um, Average hourly earnings rose 4.4% over July of last year. That's slightly more than anticipated. Fed Chairman Powell is getting that soft landing. We keep saying this. Every jobs report, I I feel like for three or four months now, has been, yeah, they're slowly but surely, you know, stopping the leak coming into the boat, right? We used that metaphor about inflation a couple of episodes ago. So it's working. Apparently, yes. I would remind everybody, though, right? Uh, Job growth is slowing and prices are still rising, right? Falling inflation still means rising prices. Uh, and, for example, gasoline prices have, have risen considerably yes. in recent weeks. And, in fact, Saudi Arabia announced yesterday that uh, they, at the head of OPEC Plus, mind you, which is a streaming service for oil, uh, is... OPEC going Plus, to be- that's where you can watch Saudi Arabia University baseball. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and... They are going to be continuing their production cap uh, to to boost the price of oil. So gas prices are not going to come down anytime soon. Of course, those don't factor into core inflation. But you know what? If you drive a car, they factor into your personal inflation. So uh, the Fed does seem to be on its way towards a soft landing, and therefore the rest of us do too, right? But this isn't over. Uh, and if if job growth continues to slow, 
then that landing might not seem quite so soft at some point. Right. But but right now, nobody's saying the sky is falling and the recession is coming. No, that's right. In fact, there are fewer people saying a recession is coming than there were at the beginning of the year. The Fed meets again in September. Their target inflation rate is 2%. I think that is telling about the Fed. They don't live in some like pie in the sky ivory tower situation where they want to stamp out inflation to zero they understand there's just a natural inflationary pressure yes they want to get it down to two percent if you have a growing economy there should be some inflation right i mean uh as long as the economy keeps growing in other words if you if you have zero inflation there's probably a problem right right uh because is china not experiencing that right now they have near zero inflation. Well, I yeah. mean, if you believe their numbers, which nobody sure. actually does, but they they they're not saying we have great numbers, right? They're saying uh, people should say we have great numbers, which is right. not exactly the same thing. <laughs> Can we talk about Fitch downgrading the U.S. credit score? Yeah, now they're the only credit rating agency that has done so, right? S and P and Moody's have not done this. I wanted to point out the credit ratings bureaus for the United States government are different to the credit ratings bureaus that are giving you or me a credit score, which I yeah, guess not- makes sense. But I'll be honest with you. I didn't know. I just didn't. I wasn't familiar with the names. I, I'd heard of S&P and Moody's, but yeah. Fitch, I don't know. Just Fitch, I think, is, you know, I mean, those are the big three, right? Uh, yes. But uh, there were, again, Moody's and S&P did not do this. Okay, so Uh, they downgraded us from uh, the United States from AAA to AA plus. Yes. And this is still like a very high credit rating. Nobody is saying don't buy treasuries, right? Like, um, in fact, it doesn't seem to have, according to experts in the reporting I've consumed, doesn't really seem to have any immediate term impact on consumers. No, it doesn't actually. Uh, I mean, the, there will be some long-term impact. I imagine if if uh, base rates for treasuries increase, then that will broadly increase interest rates. But of course, the Fed is doing that anyway, right? But it'll have an uh, effect on long-term interest rates, whereas you know the rate cuts that the Federal Reserve institutes on a month-by-month basis, as in the past year during our inflationary episode. Uh, those are generally short-term rate cuts. Uh, now, I don't want to, you know, go far into the weeds about the, the differences between long-term and short-term debt rate increases and/or decreases. You will lose me, as to, to yeah, say nothing of our audience. Again, you know, if unless folks have trouble sleeping, uh, in that case, you know, they should let us know, and then I can talk about this as long as you want until you go to sleep, which should not take very long. Uh, but. Uh, they again, they're the only credit rating credit rating agency to do so. Markets are, uh, that is these uh, stock markets uh, fell, you know, rather, you know, about a percent or so right away, uh, but then stabilized almost immediately. Not least because people like uh, Warren Buffett, the head of the Berkshire Hathaway investment firm, and uh, Jamie Dimon, the head of the world's largest bank by a long shot. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase came out and said, we don't understand this. Uh, the United States is still by far the best investment in, in, in uh, destination in the world. Uh, and so that that certainly helped. And, and Janet think, Yellen came out and said, this is nonsense. Yes, that's right. Uh, so now, why did they do this, Sam? It seems like they're trying to make a political point. 
Well, I mean, but the thing is, uh, as we talk about frequently, economics is a behavioral science, right? Uh, people's expectations of where the, as with inflation, for example, right? People's expectations of what the economy are going to be like, uh, is going to be like, make a difference in how the economy actually performs uh, because it influences their purchasing decisions and lack and or lack thereof. Uh, and so, uh, you know, meanwhile, the Republicans are coming out and saying, oh, this is because of the runaway spending of the Biden administration. Right. And there's a, uh, something it's a grain of truth to that. Yeah, there is a, a grain of truth to that. But someone could come right back at them and say, Oh, really? Because we're not the ones who've been playing games with the national debt. And that's why Fitch knocked the credit ratings explicitly. They came out and said it. Yes, that's right. Uh, and we're not the ones talking about shutting down the government later this year, uh, which the Republicans can't seem to decide if they want to do that or impeach Biden or impeach somebody else or whatever they want to do. Right. So if somebody's making a political point here, uh, yeah, OK, fine. Janet Yellen, maybe she is. Right. Uh, but she's not the only one. So Fitch said in their uh, statement regarding the downgrade, and again, this is from AAA to AA plus, and shouldn't we all have credit ratings this golden? I wish I did. Fitch said the United States appeared to suffer from, quote, erosion of governance, end of quote. Hard to argue with that when they're playing chicken with the debt ceiling. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now, uh, I, I I don't want to make too big a deal out of this because it doesn't seem to have had a big impact. It's pretty so symbolic, as it turns out. I would imagine so, unless other, for instance, if S&P and Moody's decided to follow suit sometime down the road, then I think we're there, you know, we might be a little bit more alarmed. But so far, it doesn't seem to uh, have a whole lot of impact. We'll see. Turning to Niger, uh, heading into the second week of the coup crisis there, a military junta. Last week toppled the democratically elected president, Mohamed Bazoum. Bazoum has written a letter published in the Washington Post that I encourage everybody to read, in which he declares himself a hostage and that these military forces have, uh, without any legitimacy, seized his government. Sam, you wanted me to talk in terms of headlines. I'm having a hard time figuring out which headline to start with okay, well, when it comes to the... Niger, because in about 10 different directions, it's alarming and catastrophic. You're not the only person who's having trouble uh, with this particular story. Uh, there's not a lot of Western journalists on the ground there, which is a, a, a topic that I'd like to return to. Let me run down the list then, okay? Okay, fine. Go right ahead. We've got hundreds of foreign nationals evacuating, mostly from European nations. More than a thousand, in fact. Okay. The military junta uh, yesterday shredded military cooperation agreements, some of which going back to the 1970s with France. Yes. That could really um, dramatically reshape the fight against Islamist insurgents in the region. Remember, we're talking about the Sahel region of Africa. Uh, France actually has a thousand to 1500 troops in Niger helping to fight an insurgency right now. Correct. But that probably will change very quickly. They're being asked to leave. Yeah. The junta has announced they are recalling ambassadors to France, U.S., and then their neighbors, Togo and Nigeria. 
And then we get to ECOWAS, the Economic Community of West African States. That bloc is uh, negotiating with the military junta that has taken over Niger. ECOWAS has set a deadline of Sunday for the junta to restore democratic government. ECOWAS says they are considering military intervention. But interestingly enough, member states of ECOWAS, Burkina Faso and Mali also had military coups recently, and they are not on side with ECOWAS. So there's some dissension in the ranks of this economic bloc. Yes. So, now I only learned that's chaotic as all hell, Sam. Exactly. I only learned a couple of days ago, though, that Mali and Burkina Faso had already been suspended from ECOWAS because of the coups that had happened in their countries. Which honest, had- honest question, Sam. How much time did you spend on ECOWAS before this coup? Not very much, but I, you know, I knew about them. They're, you knew they're, about it. Okay, oh, that, sure, make, yeah. that makes one of us. I mean, they, they've been around for since the 70s uh, and uh, have been more important in recent years, although rather ineffectual. For example, these other two countries, Mali and Burkina Faso, had their own coups and ECOWAS didn't really try to do very much and didn't succeed in doing anything at all, so uh, except, Eco- for, except for suspending them. Right. So ECOWAS is now imposing sanctions on Niger. Yes. Uh, the bloc has suspended all commercial transactions, frozen Niger state assets in the regional central bank, frozen assets of the state, state enterprises and commercial banks, and suspended all financial assistance with regional development banks. The president, the toppled president, Bazoum, said in his letter in the Washington Post that 40 percent of Niger's budget is foreign aid. And that's not going to flow through with this junta in power. That's right. In fact, uh, Anthony Blinken, our secretary of state, said the same thing. And there, uh, there's also a a Russian angle on this, seemingly, mind you. But many of the I'm people, glad you brought this up. Many of the people on the street who have been uh, demonstrating in favor of the coup. Uh, first of all, they're all not all, but overwhelmingly are young men, uh, of which many in Niger have no jobs, right? And so this is always a recipe for instability, no matter what country you live in, any part of the world. Lots of young men with no jobs, that's an unstable society. But many of them have been holding Russian flags, as we discussed in our earlier discussion of this last week. Uh, And uh, the Wagner group, the Russian mercenary group that we keep hearing about in Ukraine, they're active in Mali and Burkina Faso, the other two uh, ECOWAS members that have had coups in recent years. Right next to Niger. Yes. And as we discussed last week, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin speaking on the sidelines. He's the head of the Wagner Group, speaking on the sidelines of last week's Russian-African summit in St. Petersburg, openly embraced the coup. However, on Monday... Uh, And again, there's so many things that have happened with this story that we're not going to be able to talk about all of them today or probably ever. Right. Uh, But on Monday, Dmitry Peskov, the Kremlin spokesman, issued a statement saying that Russia has serious concerns about the situation in Niger and called for restraint on all sides. Literally the most anodyne statement you could ever ask for from anybody. If Anthony Blinken had said the exact same thing, nobody would have batted an eye, right? Uh, And 
Uh, and then afterwards, Sergei Lavrov issued two, di- that is the uh, Russian foreign minister, issued two different statements saying exactly the same thing. The United Nations Security Council issued a unanimous statement that is signed off on by both Russia and China saying the same thing. We have serious concerns. We call for restraint on all sides. So uh, the I think that the coup leaders in that is General Chiani in, in uh, uh, Niger uh, might have, you know, they certainly would make, perhaps want to make overtures to Russia. But it doesn't seem necessarily that this is some machination on the part of the Russians uh, themselves. As far as we can tell, and we can't tell very much, I should say, but uh, General Chiani was the head of the presidential guard. And it seems as though the reason he touched off this coup was because he was about to be fired as such. Uh, And so... Sure. And that doesn't have much to do with Russia. No. And w- first of all, what does Russia need? For, for instance, uh, Mali and Burkina Faso, they have a lot of things like gold, right? Uh, uh, everybody wants gold. Niger has... is Uranium. The seventh, yes. They're the seventh largest uh, uh, producer of uranium. But just before we came on to do the show, I watched an outstanding interview, which was about 20 minutes long on DW. Uh-huh. A, a fellow named Alex Vines, uh, and he is uh, uh, at Chatham House, the uh, the British think tank, and he's part of their Africa program. He had all the figures, so I, I mean, he knows much more about this than you and I will ever, you know. Uh, but he said they're the world's large seventh largest producer of uranium, uh, and. Uh, that amounts to about 5%. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. 5% of global uranium supplies. That's not actually that much. By the way, I think Russia produces their own uranium. Uh, and so what does Niger actually have to offer Russia? Not a whole lot. They're a desperately poor country. Uh, they're not the same as the other countries that have had coups. So... Uh, Perhaps this was all uh, some plot by the Russians. It doesn't really feel that way. So we should point out that, especially for this story, but by and large, DW, which is uh, a German news outlet in English, and France 24, a French news outlet in English, very accessible on YouTube, very in-depth, PBS NewsHour-like in-depth panel discussions after very rigorous reporting with journalists on the ground that we consume a lot to prepare for this podcast yes not so much in this case mind you i haven't seen a lot of uh 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 european journalists on the ground in niger because nobody really expected this to happen right and and there's not a lot that generally goes on in niger Uh, and so there haven't been a lot of people reporting from there there's some footage that we've seen but it all seems to be you know sort of cell phone video footage that someone has uploaded and uh and you know uh than they, all the networks are using. So uh, it, it, it is tempting, though, because of the Wagner Group's involvement in the coups in Burkina Faso and in Mali, it is tempting in the Western mind to think, oh, they're bad guys and they're doing this because this coup, this junta now, has toppled a democratically elected leader mm-hmm. who had tight partnerships with the West, right? So right. There's, a, there's a narrative that we want to seize on to kind of feeling like the good guys in the West. 
But in all the reporting that I've read and heard and watched, there's no hard evidence. And as you said, the the, the Russian government statements would indicate there, there's no uh, there's no there there, right? It doesn't look that way. And for instance, this was happening while the Russians were staging their Russia Africa summit in St. Petersburg. Right, that would be poorly mentioned. timed. Yeah, or right, or is it you know if. Putin is this evil mastermind, which no one actually seems to think he is anymore. Is he going, well, you can let me be your patron and give you free grain, or I can destabilize your whole region? You know, was he trying to operate that kind of game? I kind of don't think so. Yeah, uh, we, we have not gotten that. Um, we have not caught that whiff of competence from Russia from some time now. Not lately, no. Uh, and... By the way, the, the summit didn't go especially well. We, we talked about it a little bit last week, but after we recorded last week's episode, uh, so the African Union president, in conjunction with the Egyptian president, al-Sisi, issued a statement saying, yeah, that, that offer of free grain, that's not going to cut it, right? We want a grain deal like the one you just ended. Uh, I don't think, you know, they didn't say that you just ended part, right? But what they said was, we want a, a, some other kind of grain deal, Uh that we could purchase grain on the market like we've always done instead of you just giving us grain like you're our dad or something, right? I mean, uh, so, again, I kind of don't think that this is the result. Of it, 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 the story about uh, the head of the presidential guard about to be, be fired and that's why this happened. That, that seems, seems plausible. plausible. That seems a bit more plausible to me. Thinking about Niger and grain, Niger exists mostly in the Sahara Desert and then there's like a verdant band in the south and that's, that's right. and that's where uh Niamey the capital is and and then you head south and you get into Nigeria and so grain's important for the 20 million people who live there cuz most of it is not farmable desert right that's why you know the, the they're so dependent on foreign aid right i mean you know we and to be fair, I don't know a lot about different African countries and how they differ from uh, from each other, right? But Niger is a poor country by African standards, let alone by world standards, right? Uh, they again, they don't have; uh, they're not a big oil producer like Nigeria is, right? They're a landlocked country; they can't export out through the port through their own ports like almost every other West African country can. Right. They're dependent on rail links and other kinds of transport links over land to get any of their goods to the market. If France isn't going to buy their uranium, and by the way, it's a French mining company that mines most of their uranium. If they're not going to be doing that anymore, who's going to mine it? If they can't export through the through Lagos in Nigeria, how are they going to export? You can't just put uranium on a train and send it through Algeria, with which they still have an open border. I don't think Algeria is necessarily going to be all that happy to do that for you. Uh, so uh, the 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 fellow Alex Vines from Chatham House, who I was just uh, who the interview with with whom I was just watching, he was like, "Look, the the junta leaders don't have a lot of options here, right? Uh, Nigeria." provides Niger with 70% of their electricity, or they did until right, the until other they cut day it off. when they cut it off, right? Uh, and so uh, 
you know, Mali and Burkina Faso said that they would side against the rest of ECOWAS with Niger uh, if uh, ECOWAS decided to launch military action. That would be bad, right? Uh, and so while ECOWAS has sent a delegation to uh, Niamey, the capital of Niger, to, to negotiate some kind of settlement with the coup leaders, the coup leaders themselves have sent a delegation to Mali, right, to see, you know, what we can get done. I hope there's not a war, but there could be. And these, this gets us back to what I, you know, I didn't want to lead with because it's not the most important aspect, right? But uh, I was, you know, scanning YouTube for news about this over last weekend. And I said, and suddenly it's just like, here's uh, NBC News uh, military and national security correspondent, uh, Courtney Kuby on the ground in Niamey. And I was like, hey, good for you, NBC. Because as you recall, John, and yes. our, our listeners recall, I was complaining uh, rather contemptuously last week about how American media never covers stories like that. And I, then I, but so I watched it and, and I was happy that, that, that somebody had a reporter there. But I was like, wait a minute, didn't they shut the borders? And by the way, Courtney Kuby is not a foreign affairs correspondent. She is a military and national security correspondent, which are not the same uh, in terms of the organizational hierarchy of NBC News. So I searched her name on YouTube, and it turned out that she had just happened to be in Niger uh, and filed a story in which she was interviewing U.S. troops who are helping with the anti-terrorism mission there and have been for a number of years, right? Uh, and so that's- Do you know who's there? Sorry, this, I want to just- U.S. troops that are there in Bazoom's letter in the Washington Post, he goes, I'd especially like to thank the Indiana National Guard. Wow. We've got, we've got Hoosiers fighting Boko Haram in Niger. Yes. And, and this president's like, this is awesome. Not only and- that, but the, the, the General Chiani, who deposed President Bazoom, he was trained in the United States. Oh. All right. So here's Courtney Kuby. She just happens to be there. Uh, but while she's there and there's a coup, I guess we might as well do this. And so, you know, I'm glad, for instance, we don't see a lot of reporting about the anti-terror mission either. So it's good that they sent her there for that and that she happened to be there while the coup took place. But you know what, John? She wasn't on the NBC Nightly Loose last night or the night before. All right. We've got American troops in a country that has just experienced a coup d'etat and could be involved in a war engulfing at least three other countries. And you can't put you've got a reporter there. You can't put her on the news. Right. So so you just outlined kind of what what I've been mulling over as we sift through the various data points we have about this story. The Sahel region, which is the east-west coast-to-coast band directly south of the Sahara Desert in Africa. It's Guinea on the Atlantic coast, and it goes all the way to Sudan on the east coast, right right by the Horn of Africa and the Indian Ocean. That Sahel region has had seven coups now since 2020. This one in Niger is the latest. There is a significant anti-terrorism military mission going on there with French and American and other armed forces. And we don't know anything about it, or we should say we don't hear a lot about it. Yeah. Almost never. 
Boko Haram, I would say, is the biggest name brand of the Islamist insurgents involved in this. But there region. are many. Islamic State is there. There's uh, yes. Al-Qaeda affiliates. Right. Yes, that's right. So you've got this layer of, I mean, not to make it to scare like the white folks in the West, but you've got a legitimate haven for terrorists that is kind of coming apart at the seams and turning away from the West. You've got confirmed Russian interests in the coups in Mali and in Burkina Faso in this region. Remains to be seen how involved they are in Niger, but there are just all these layers of intrigue. You've got ECOWAS potentially making a military action against Niger, right? You, it Again, I feel like we're not going to know exactly what all this means for a hundred years. You know, it feels, it feels a little Balkans to me. And that, as you know, always gets me worried, right? I just, there are so many moving parts here and so many different interests throw in gold and uranium, right? Every single country on earth is going to want some of the action. It, it, It does seem like one of those classic in history moments of international intrigue where not everybody's really paying attention I know it's not Sarajevo in 1914, but like nobody was really paying attention to the Habsburg Empire either, right? Right. It, it just, it smells like one of those, hmm, in a hundred years, people are going to maybe say, this was a much more pivotal moment than we could ever perceive right now. And But that's why I've, all, I've been saying on this show, since we've been doing it almost, right? Africa is the most important geopolitical region of this century. And And I have to tell you, I wasn't so sure I understood why until this on the heels of what we talked about in Sudan and now contextualizing it within uh, the Sahel region. What's going on there? What resources are there? Right. And that's why, uh, for example, like I was just saying, Niger doesn't have a lot to offer Russia or, by the way, vice versa. Right. All that Russia can combine can can provide to any African country is really just guns. Right. Or and Wagner mercenaries. That's it. Right. They don't need Russian oil. They've got their own oil. Right. They don't need Russian minerals. They've got their own minerals. And Russia doesn't really do anything else. They could give so, them grain. Yeah. But uh, Putin seems not to be an inept bumbler in this sense, that he understands what the ball, where the ball game is going to be played. Right. And he's leveraging what he does have to gain influence on the African continent in a better way than the West is. Uh, And uh, I saw a different interview on DW uh, the other night with a fella from the uh, Center for uh, Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. His name I wrote down is uh, Movemba Fezo Dizulele. I saw Uh, that interview as well. Yeah. And uh and he, you know, made this point very clearly, and I was very happy because it was basically the same thing I was saying last week, is that the United States, if it's set, going to be the champion of democracy, they've got to put their money where their mouth is on that, and they're not really doing that in Africa. Sure, Biden had a, the African Leaders summit, summit last year. That seemed to go pretty well. But having a summit isn't, the, uh, isn't all you need to do. It's a big job. It's very difficult. It requires resources and constant attention. It's not going to be easy, but the United States and the rest of the West really does need to be uh, stepping up their game on this, because if they're not going to, somebody else will. And right now, it does seem to be Russia, even though they don't have 
anything really to offer to these people. It doesn't stop Russian flags from being seen on the streets in the Amit. As I think about how to make the West, and in particular the United States voter, care about this, is the point one should hammer in conversation, look, the Indiana National Guard is there fighting Islamist uh, insurgencies, like or insurgents, rather. I mean, is that the angle you make? Is that the angle you take to make, you know, Joe Blow voter care about this because it, they know to be scared of Islamist terrorism? Yeah, it might be. Because that it, seems like it, it, it seems a little too simple to actually illustrate the importance, and it might be a bit reductive, but at the same time, okay, as what, you said, there's a ton say, of stuff going on and nobody's paying attention. What I would say is give it a shot. Right. right. And and hats off to Courtney Kuby for, for, you know, because, John, you you know more about how newsrooms operate than I do. But I think the way Courtney Kuby ends up in in Niger is she's a young, ambitious reporter That's and right. says to her to her immediate superiors, look, we need to be talking about this. And we're not. Uh, and just by, the you know, stupid luck, she ended up there when the coup happens. I really hope I'm going to see her on TV while this is going on, I'm not confident that I will. But at least, but she's there. Why not? Why are you not doing this? And the other angle I might pursue is: look, nobody was paying any attention to Afghanistan in 2001 either. How did that work out? That's right. True. And so that was supposedly going to teach us the lesson that things happening in remote areas that you never heard of can make a difference in your life. Unfortunately. Our response to that attack was the disastrous war in Iraq, which seems to have just caused people to want to withdraw back into uh, their um, America-centric uh, viewpoint. You can say isolationist. I'll yeah. allow it. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, now there's a lot going on. But it's funny, you know, uh, people who keep saying, oh, Putin has already lost the war in Ukraine because he meant to hobble NATO, but he ended up expanding it. Yeah, or uh, he's keeping everybody busy paying attention to Europe because that's all they care about, while he's actually playing uh, in the real ba- the real battlefield of this century. Now, I'm I'm not I wouldn't go quite that far, but uh, it's something I would like just like people to think about. Right, Ukraine is enormously important, right? Uh, but it's not the only important place, uh, and. We need to be talking about the other ones more than we are. That's all. I'm glad we do. I hope other people will, too. All right. So this will publish the same day we're recording on a Friday, August 4th. The deadline that ECOWAS is set, or I guess we'd call it, is it an ultimatum? They have said you need to restore democratic government to Niger by Sunday, yeah. which would be the same. They originally seemed to say that if you if it's not by Sunday, then we're going to come in. They seem to have stepped back from that, right? Uh, but uh, that the, the, they did give a Sunday deadline for whatever they're going to do. Right? I mean, so we'll ECOWAS is 15 nations. Yes, you mentioned two of them are suspended, but... Well, now it's only 12. <laughs> right, but Niger, or Nigeria, rather, is, you know, 200 million people. Yes. They would have a sizable military... Yeah, it's by far, by far the largest country in, in ECOWAS. And uh, so I imagine they have the, by far the largest so military. So any scenario in which Nigeria is taking action against Niger militarily is bad. Yeah. I mean, look, we don't want this to happen, right? Uh, and we don't, 
You I could turn you could turn the entire east west width of Africa into what Afghanistan was in the months and years leading up to 9-11. I don't know if it would be quite that bad, but it would be very, it very could be. Bad. It doesn't have to be anywhere near that bad to be awful for everybody, right? Uh, and so uh, this is something that we're going to be returning to in future episodes, I can guarantee you, right? Uh, 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 our regular listeners should be expecting to hear a bit, at least a little bit more about Niger next week. All right, let's uh, talk about next week. Uh, you and I actually did not discuss this before uh, we came on the air here, but uh, for next week's episode, I think update in Niger for sure, because this is this, there are just so many layers to this. Yes. And uh, I, I'm just going to say the place name and let you run with this. The Strait of Hormuz. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know if, exactly what's going on. Over oh, there, well, but... they, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to surprise you. The United States is now going to put Marines uh, on ships because things are being seized. Yeah. The, uh, I yeah. mean, Iran is bad, but they do this all the time. I mean, uh, uh, you do, know, do they? they? They do this a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah, are you talking have, about Iran or the United States Marines? The Iran. Uh, okay. the, the, Iran uh, interferes with uh, traffic in the Strait frequently or threatens to do so. And uh, I guess they've stepped it up a little bit. Right. Uh, and so the United States is responding. And hopefully that won't blow up in anything either. I guess it could. That That's not so far from the eastern tip of the Sahel. Yeah, it's all the way across the Arabia Peninsula. Uh, it's still in the neighborhood. Yeah. All right. All right. You're not buying it. Fine. No. OK. Another jam packed episode. Yeah. Everybody, uh, if you have questions, comments, suggestions. John Ramey Media at gmail.com. He's Sam Park. I'm John Ramey. Have yourselves a fine weekend. Thanks, everybody.